And welcome back to the final little part of this half of a season. Um, we are wrapping it up in this um, in this conclusion, uh, talking about just some general production, I guess, gripes that come up with maybe some of the writing or the set direction or scene um, direction. And um, again, incredible show. I don't think anyone can say that this isn't an incredible show. Um, it's not gonna ever not be considered a feat of filmmaking, like I said in the last one. But um, there are some things that maybe with time have been maybe more noticed because there's been 20 years with this show. Um, and it's just easier to nitpick it now. And maybe that's what we're doing, but uh, they're still worth discussing, I think. So again, Tess and Rachel joining me for the last time. And yeah, so the first thing I think that I wanna bring up is something that I touched on sort of towards the end of the last part. And that is the dialogue. And I believe I said something to the effect of, it's very much, timeless and it can take place whenever wherever because it's just men having interactions and it's fine in a lot of respects like they do a good job of it but it's so general to where it's almost I don't know what's the word if it's too general it's almost like not negligible but it doesn't necessarily, if it's general, it doesn't mean that it fits, if that, if you It makes it. sense, it makes sense. I mean, they really, I think they did an amazing job in the sense that they put the time and they focused the energy on making sure that these men had a relationship with each other off camera. And they had, you know, maybe dynamics with each other that we see on camera more than in the dialogue. And it, it creates really powerful, interesting moments. And for that reason, the dialogue is kind of elevated to, you know, the place of its original intent. Yeah. And like, you know, you could say it's generalized, but I think, you know, the, them just talking or saying whatever that a conversation that could be, you know, had now is just shows the their relationships and and the realism of it if you can relate you know watching it now in 2020 and what well, 2022 and relate to like a conversation that these guys are having you know in 1944 45 mm -hmm. then it just shows that like you know it's relatable it's like this could be you and your friends this is like something that these were just regular people and they're having regular conversations war but who how often mm -hmm. did soldiers you know just start a poetic spiel about how you know the futility of war and how terrible it is you know they're there to survive and having these relationships and having these conversations just shows how important the relationships were yeah. to each other and 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 just what kind of regular people they were and I think it's why those dynamics that they built with each other are so important because they shine through in such a way that like it's a, it's a scene, not to bring it back to the Pacific again, but it's a scene in the Pacific I think about a lot where I believe it's like Snafu and Jay and they're talking about cars. And I'm like, I kind of don't really give a shit what you're talking about the car for because I don't really feel it there, but I do feel it a lot in the interactions in Band of Brothers. Mm. it feels like I and I kind of get what you mean with that comparison because it's like that was like obviously like intentional written dialogue like they were making it to be like these two guys just trying to like cope with having like the most like guy I think that's like a very guy topic obviously talking about cars and be like well I like this engine in mine but like it's very pointed so it has to have a certain intonation in like the speech patterns and like your vocalization with it. But with Band of Brothers, I think the actors did a great job when they, you know, had scenes where they were interacting where you have a very like 
again, like timeless piece of not really much to go off of, but you do have the people that you're in the scene with and you're able to play around and you're able to sort of uh, not ad lib, but you're able to like improv a little bit probably and you're able to make it feel more natural in that sense. And they did a great job with that. And I think they relied on a lot of that with the actors to get that, um, get their lines and get the scripts to what they really wanted it to be. And they chose like the perfect guys to do it. Mm -hmm. It goes back to, you know, as you said at the beginning of this, it's an incredible display of research and an incredible display of filmmaking, everything that they were able to accomplish. And because the project was so immense and so layered, I think at a certain point, you really did have to lean a little bit more on your actors to be the ones who understood the history of their individual veteran. And, you know, I think common knowledge, some of the guys were a little bit better at it than others. And it shows, you know, dialogue, becomes a different thing when you understand your guy. I, I think you, I think you're right. When you understand where a character is maybe coming from when they say something more than someone else who is just reading the part and going to set and saying their lines when they're not really immersing themselves in that. Like the whole, the whole scenario, the whole setup was uh, designed to be immersive. Like they were, they went through boot camp together. They were made to like march to set every day. They stayed in very close quarters. So the whole thing was meant to be immersive. Like they didn't have, they weren't allowed to have like their 2000, year 2000 cell phones and they couldn't email people. They had to like write letters and stuff so I think in that sense like everyone had like a baseline level of research that was put into it but other people you can tell did put more work into the character so they were able to maybe experience that more and bring that more to life because I remember very distinctly in the first back in 2020 in the first like history hack podcast they did they had a snippet of Matthew Leach and Matthew Leach is atoning for it now in a very um, respectful manner, but in putting in the work now, but he said that he had the opportunity to do more research. He had some resources available, but he didn't take them. He just assumed that going off the strength of his lines alone would be enough. And he acknowledges that it wasn't really, but I think it's a testament to what he did have that he is a memorable character in this show. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, him talking about that also is an immediate contrast. I think it's maybe in the same episode to Richard Spade talking about, you know, forming a relationship with the Muck family who didn't even know that there was a book called Band of Brothers, had no idea that there was a show coming. And by forming that relationship, he created a more layered character than there would have been on the page. Exactly. I think they did the cast, like a lot of like, obviously like this is a show with like tons and tons and tons of extras and mm -hmm. a lot of background work. But I think the, like the like the core group of people put in so much work to where it's I think it's so believable that like that sort of I guess going back to what we talked about before as well where like they got to a place of becoming who they were mm -hmm. like I don't know if all of them were method actors but I feel like they had to be a little bit method on this um and it's also <clears throat> interesting that like the 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 relationships that they formed kind of themselves ended up showing very well on camera like I think the the mortar squad did a great job of really maybe not capturing the exact same dynamic but capturing a close enough one to where like they're all still close and they all became incredibly close in a lot of the same way that Malarkey, Skip, and Pinkala were. Mm -hmm. It completely reads. And again, it goes back to a question that I always have 
and watching the show is I want to know exactly which dynamics existed on the page before they existed in the context of an episode. Because I, yeah. I think I've always been fascinated by the idea that, you know, Bill and Babe were both still alive when the show premiered. They had a extreme hands and you know just the different details of certain scenes they were very available in that way but we don't really see them together all that much in the show and the the person that we do see babe having the most interactions with is doc Rowe. and i was always wondering where exactly they yeah. came up with that specifically because it's very curious it is interesting that they sort of became the foils for each other and like outside did they just pull it out of a hat like i'm very it's 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 a little bit of an unclear decision it is unclear it's like how did what was like going on like off camera in terms of like people forming friendships and different types of interactions that that would pull it's very similar to how you sort of see um uh Lieb and Webster they've gone Webster they have a very interesting relationship but like in all actuality they would have no real reason to be friends there's no precedent for it it's and like they've... the manipulation of relationships depending on you know their characteristics mm. for, simply for storytelling like you know I, I think maybe Babe and Doc Roy were paired together because of you know the thing that Babe was going through with uh you know witnessing julian getting you know slaughtered he's a different you know he's dealing with things differently to how doc Rowe would and so maybe he was the easiest one to have them like have be approached by or approach just because he's more i don't know in his characteristics less blase or whatever i don't know Maybe that was the reason, but like for for Webster and Leave Got, I think that you know all, all the pairings or the friendships are, that a narrative purpose. They're they're done on purpose. They're done, yeah, to tell the story. And and for Webster and Leave, I think you've got someone who I don't know. Webster has to kind of get back in with them because he's been gone for so long, and he's got something in common with Leave Got is that that you know they both speak German, and so you've got that connection already, and so you know he's someone he has to win over because he's so the one noticing that he's being trying to get out of things I don't know and then you've got you know Webster's a bit you know book smart educated and not you know not into the not into we said this last time but like not into war not actively wanting to put himself up for things and not really you know it's not really he's just trying to get through it alive whereas maybe leave got is a bit more invested in it or doing more things you know that they're all there for some reason it's so weird that they're just paired together for like the last three episodes it's so strange it's very strange and again i think it's something that they speak a little bit about on the history hack podcast where the presence of the writers on the set meant that they were noticing certain actors that were putting themselves forward maybe a little bit more. So that's really how I justify that particular relationship in my head is because clearly, you know, I, I think Ross is great in the show. I will say that for him. And I think that, you know, they saw he was putting himself out and they probably said, well, we want to have Webster be the main guy in this episode because, you know, he, he wrote this book. He has a lot of things to say. He's available for us as writers. And this guy, we've kind of seen him before. People will recognize him. We'll just put him in. Well, I think it was obviously, it was, it was probably inevitable that Webster was going to get his own web, web own web show, <laughs> own episode <laughs> because he wrote his book. It was yeah. inevitable that he was going to have a, an episode. Obviously, that was pre-written. Like yeah, they pre-wrote exactly. the scripts. You know, yeah. <laughs> they don't just decide. Maybe no. the line. But like, I think the more I was thinking about it, is like, it, is Webster so not like in it for the violence? Whereas a lot of these men, like you know, like Garnier and Toy, they're ready to you know slaughter immediately without question. And for Lee got to go on his like you know 
tirade and he with his aggression with his anger and you know his grief or whatever you've webster's probably the the only one who's going to go you shouldn't do that and try and pull him back and that's the interesting dynamic there is that you've got someone who has clear it's like a personal um vendetta for him to go and get this you know nazi and kill him whereas webster's more like this is you know you shouldn't he's the one that's going to oppose it and create this conflict and create this um conversation about you know well why shouldn't like you know when you're there you kind of be like well why shouldn't he kill that person and then but you can see it from Webster's side as well it's like an interesting Mm -hmm. dichotomy of like well this is a personal aggression but it is like on behalf of you know his people and then you've and then you've got Webster who's like trying not to try not to encourage him and trying to pull him back and stop it and you're like why why though why why did he not let him do that all but he went with him you know it's it's really it's so interesting it's very interesting and again I think it it's a little bit of a lopsided yeah it is yeah I feel like they should have maybe gone into it more because yeah yeah and then you have skinny shoot does shoot the guy does Mm -hmm. kill him and you're like okay so why wouldn't Webster do that and you're like is it because you're staring at an individual rather than the mass and when it's easy it's it is easy to create this enemy where they're what they're faceless these faceless enemies all you know is that they're german they're nazis they're bad but when you're faced with a singular person who has a face who has like a, a personality something that you can see is it then harder for you to justify killing that one person in that moment rather than just shooting a mass of you know shooting at a mass of people coming onto you Hmm. which I think we see a little bit in Crossroads where Dick is very tortured about having killed this young German soldier but we only get that for so long because you can't really afford to have it for a long time yeah and and that episode it's also sort of like subtext like nothing is said Mm -hmm. we we see how it haunts him uh, Mm -hmm. but it's almost over and done with by the end of it by the end of the episode and, and he never explicitly says anything to do with it and um i think it's really interesting how this show um really contributes to the othering of the enemy you know there's yeah. there's rarely anything you know we're going into the it, history is written by the victors by the winners and you know rarely uh, do we have pieces of media that depict what it was like for the losers the the the, the germans and not just like you know the nazis because yeah obviously of course they were terrible terrible ideology terrible people but they're just the regular average people didn't necessarily buy into the regime or buy into the ideology just fighting because that's their country and that's what they thought they had to do like just like america just like america because americans going into the war they weren't fighting to you know uh save people from the holocaust because they you know as far as they knew they didn't really know any of that was going on so this othering of the enemy is really helped in this show because you don't see it really from the other perspective other than mm-hmm. these two couple two maybe three or four moments where you get oh this person is a person like with yeah. nixon and that german lady well, and she's got think- who died you know it's just oh these are real people being affected by it but they are the enemy i think <sighs> i think sort of sort of something that's it was completely made up. I, I believe they said that this didn't actually happen. But in episode two, when Malarkey meets the, the kid who's like from a couple hours away from him fighting for Germany. That I think is real. It was? When I went to the World War II Museum, they have a video of Malarkey talking about it. Wow. Oh, oh, but yeah, because like I, but oh, I, I wasn't aware, but I yeah i that's a very interesting thing that like you know we are we're seeing the effects of it of like do you really consider another american who maybe would have joined up for america do we really consider him an enemy and we can see that malarkey doesn't he's like i'll see you later i'll probably see you around like Mm -hmm. we get home like that's probably what he's thinking he never gets that chance so we're sort of made to confront that as well I think that like these are just kind of like young guys if you see them as a group it's like confronting humanity and it's so 
interesting that they picked or, or like if it is a true story then that they picked to show it but also that they picked to show that it was an american fighting mm-hmm. as well yeah. you know he's american and but he's on the other side yeah. and it's like okay well it's not necessarily humanizing the germans it's saying this you know it's very easy to be on the other side but he's an american you know yeah and, and i think it's very day, interesting he, you know he's just got german it. heritage like it was very interesting that's like he like the american the other american kid he didn't want to be there he's like he felt sick to his stomach that he was an american captured by americans because he had to fight for germany well, he was sort of blasé about it. It was like, we answered the call. You know, my family consider themselves German more than they consider themselves American, which, I, you know, is quite valid for like, you know, America is just like this melting pot of, you know, immigrants who come from mm-hmm. Europe. And you, you can see that how that could be possible for any of these people, you know, like people who are like Italian-American. Like, you know, if, if Italy calls you back and you consider your parents are Italian immigrants, you would consider yourself probably, you know. Yeah likely maybe you'd consider yourself more Italian than you would American I think it's just so easy for them to be like well you know as an American he's still a good person because he answered the call it's really and you feel bad for him that he gets shot because you're like oh my god he could have so easily been in the American army and I think and I think like they chose the language of that very carefully it's like my parents answered the call it it sort of leads you to be like he himself probably wouldn't have done it he would have stayed in America because he was probably born there and was an American citizen it's just very interesting like the language that they chose and I think it was a very careful consideration of how they wanted to say that um or it couldn't have been and they just said that I mean I suppose so um but it it, as you are your own person like he would have been called if he was born in America would have been called up in America as well so Mm -hmm. it was his choice to say actually yeah I'll go with my family and who I feel most loyal to or whatever but I think it's also really interesting how they don't choose to do that with German soldiers or Polish Mm -hmm. soldiers or anyone on who's actually fighting for what they consider their country and who isn't American because with the American it's very easy to go oh it's so oh so easy so they could have been friends they could have been this they could have been that with Germans that's the true othering you know it's not Americans in a foreign country it's it's the people who are fighting for their homeland for their country and you don't see them being humanized you know you see them getting shot and killed and that you know being referred to as krauts and dirty this and dirty that and it's like you're you're made to like be like feel vindicated then at like the end of episode nine when they're like when they all have to like dig the graves and you're like I don't feel sorry for you you're sort of made to feel that way I was just going to say, I find the opening and the ending of episode nine really interesting in that way, because we open up and this town is just decimated and it's, it's hard to look at. It's sad. And then by the end of the episode, I assume we're meant to have gone through a journey in our minds where it's like, yeah, but they deserved it. It's like, yeah, like, um, like Perconte says, it's like, you're not a Nazi. How come I've been in Germany and I haven't met a Nazi yet? like where are they if it's not you who are they well exactly you know there are people who believed in the ideology and believed in you know fighting for the third reich and for german superiority but you know there are also people who are just like well you know you've got to fight for your country just like they did in world war one and you know you, you do have that guy who is a german soldier who's like this is my second war and he's just talking to webster once the you know the war's over yeah. they're just having a chat and that that but they don't do that with a, like a, a soldier until the war is finished and you go yes and he's he's just a regular guy because then they don't feel it doesn't make you feel bad that they're shooting at people you know well it's one really thing, interesting one thing that's been like playing over and over in my mind given like current world events um is the german colonel who was like i wonder what will happen when there's no more wars to occupy people like you and me Mm. it's sort of like saying like we're the same you realize that we are on different sides but we're the same yeah well for him and and winters they're like that's their career like winters carried on being in the army in the korean war you know that's just what they do and that's what they're good at whether or not they're what they're fighting for may not be at the forefront of their mind it's just this is what i'm good at here's how i can apply my skills that guy was probably you know in the first world war and that you know 
yeah he could go to any you know that that's just what he does yeah and yeah it, the whole point of like these after scene you know after war scenes with these soldiers is like, oh they're just like me and they're just like you and but I, I found it really interesting what Tess was saying about how they you know you're watching these Germans dig these graves and you're like oh yeah they they deserve it even though we've seen that, that you know they haven't personally been fighting they're old you know they're elderly people or you know and they're just regular people they're injured and you're like oh yeah but they do deserve it because surely they knew what was going on and you just you never really know because these places these camps were so far away from you know anything well and and not and um and I had a and I did have a, a friend who was German and she was sort of explaining to me that like it was just very similar like if you didn't want your family to die you did what you had to do yeah it's like this whole thing of coercion and consent like how much did they have to go along with things and how much did they consent to things you know it's at the end of the day everybody's about protecting themselves and Mm. so you know they have to just pretend like they don't know what's going on or uh, obey the laws like coerce with everything just so that they can survive but then there are those people who consented and thought that it was a great idea and the Nuremberg laws and all these sort of things mm-hmm. are like for their own country, but you know, the fanatics, but you just don't, the, the whole thing with those people in, you know, digging the graves is that you don't know. Yeah. You don't know yeah. whether who knows what, who supported what, who is, who, you know, and, and like you've got all ordinary German people or Austrian people hiding Jewish people in their houses, you know, not everybody mm-hmm. was, for it but not everybody you know yeah it's very like do anything about it they didn't think maybe do a good job of they did other the germans but they did a good job of sort of not creating ambivalence like the german ambivalence towards it but like you could tell that people had their own personal feelings on it and they did sort of impart that a little bit but they made it more like I'm thinking of like a a moment in episode nine where like they still made sure to keep the humanity of the Americans one step ahead where like um Bull sees the little girl's teddy on the table and he hands it to her before pushing the family out of the door like it's Mm. like they're gonna be good but go like we need this house we need this house not you it is interesting it is yeah like how the the othering happens you know through the whole beginning of the series and then when the war has like you know been ended that's when you start to see oh they're just like me they're just like you like that speech that's given to the German soldiers I was just going yeah they're like you know that's something that Winters would have said to them if it had been the other way around or or just anyway you know hope you lead long and happy lives Mm -hmm. and the the intense emotional gymnastics you go through, not only having that speech at, you know, a very, uh, and the most important moment of the series, right before the ending, right before you find out what happens to everybody, and it's Liebgott who's saying it and interpreting it to everybody else. I think that that was a really balls to the wall wild choice with the way that they framed everything in the show up to now mm-hmm. it's like these people are evil and you know generous and disgusting and deserved everything that we did to them and then yeah. you know it's the ninth hour and we're suddenly like maybe we should have felt bad about stuff yeah yeah well I think the, it's so crazy like the the whole character of Lieb got it, it in itself as as a vehicle for so much like storytelling mm-hmm. as you know um you know the history shows that he wasn't the real guy wasn't Jewish but people like would assume he was because of his name um but in the you know in the series they made him Jewish and you know a part of that is to have this um so that they can have this poignant moment where they discover you know the the concentration camps which uh, also I don't think they actually did I don't think Easy Company actually liberated any they were they they arrived to it and they helped at one but I don't think they discovered it yeah they never discovered one and liberated one they were like you Mm. know helping out but the fact that they found one and Joe is the only well, he's the only one who can really like translate half of what they're saying and it's it has to be him that hears it firsthand of what is happening and why it's happening to those particular people 
Yeah. It's almost yeah. like a convenience. Have him as a Jewish character so that he can be the one in the concentration camps. And it, and it makes it hit home even more because oh. if he wasn't in, if he was in Germany, that could have easily have been him and his family rather than having, you know, no Jewish characters at all. And it still be, still be horrific and horrible, but having that personal connection through him and then using his anger and grief at finding that mm-hmm. out to justify, you know, him to show that, you know, almost like the ugliness of his actions. And you're like, well, part of you is like, yeah, he, he's justified in his thinking, but then you're also made to think that he's irrational yeah. by hunting down this guy. And, you know, his, his motivation to kill is, is like seen as like almost savage and impulsivity rather than something that's like noble and just the way that they've portrayed it. And it's sort of like, well, it also also, having him as, sorry, having him as like a vehicle for that aggression. It's like, well, you don't mm -hmm. really see a lot of the others go through that. You know, you see, you see Webster, you know, hold someone up at gunpoint or whatever, but it's like, and then he immediately changes his mind. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, it's almost like an ugly stereotype. It's like, Mm -hmm. you you know, Jewish people were, you know, there's not like, they're not sparse. There's loads of them. You know, you could have more than one Jewish character. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just like, and, and the fact that we we were talking about earlier, it's like, it, it, Garnier is, you know, has anti-Semitism. There's anti-Semitism at the beginning of the show with him. And I think that's so interesting to show that, you know, j- this did happen in Germany and it's horrendous and it's horrific. And, and you know, the camps were everywhere, all across Europe. Jewish people were brought into these camps. But, it, and you know, it so could have easily happened in America because anti-Semitism wasn't not happening in America because, mm-hmm. you know, there's heavy Jewish populations in different places and, you know, they were treated differently and they were, you know... Um, ostracized and so to have like this being like oh well as americans this could never have happened when you're like you just showed at the beginning of the show that there are people who have anti-semitic view anti-semitic views and america is capable of this you know they had japanese internment camps and and you've got you've got people who are anti-semitic there and you've got people who are anti-semitic in england england you know would jail anybody who was german just in case you know Mm -hmm. and it goes completely unquestioned I pretty yeah, much anyone they're like yes america liberated them and, and it's a popular narrative in in history that america went to war to liberate these counts they and they were like yes us winning the war we wanted to because we wanted to save the jewish people and they actually didn't have any idea that this was going on hence yeah. the surprise to find this camp and then to the surprise of knowing well, what do all these people have in common they had no idea and so it, again it's it's sort of like fed into the um almost heroism of like um the soldiers that sit at finding them and then immediately mm-hmm. liberating them or trying to save them or sort them out but then also have joe seem unjust in his anger and, and savage in his well, action what's interesting about leave god specifically is um well one they did a complete disservice not making that episode centric on him and i think that's like a common sentiment it's like if you're mm-hmm. going to if you're going to put your if you're going to use his character's jewish identity for like five minutes of emotional vulnerability in him give him the entire episode follow him that entire episode not make it about nixon's divorce and then a little sidetrack of um internal struggle manifesting outwards but what it does i've noticed is it's sort of like it was just sort of known that like Liebgott liked being like Liebgott liked being violent like the actual Liebgott loved he was one of like the most i think winners described him as one of the most brutal soldiers that he had like he just he enjoyed it he thought it was fun like that's like that's a common thing he thought it was fun but it but using his Jewish identity in the show almost makes it like it go it goes back and it revises like all the stuff that he was just doing like in episode five in the crossroads he was just picking them off for fun like he was just doing that um unprovoked and Nick Winters literally had to tell him to stop but when he discovers the camp it sort of goes back and it's like okay well he was okay to, it was he was right to do all that like because now it's justified Whereas before, it was just like they were all 
do, they were just all doing it. It was what, it was their job. If that, like, if that whole- Yeah, it, it justifies, like, his, uh, you know, almost needlessly violent behavior, you know, the, the, and, and the fact that when they were escorting prisoners of war, that he had to, you know, make sure that he only had one bullet because they couldn't count on him not killing them. Because mm-hmm. he enjoyed it. He thought it was fun. That yeah. he, he, he enjoyed killing people. Mm. And he got to do it in a, uh, in a sanctioned way. Yeah. They got probably like a sheet of paper with two facts about what we've got on it was like maybe Jewish really loved killing. Uh, Jewish question mark, violent exclamation point, you know. And Basically. And Ross yeah. saw that and he said, okay. I can do that. Mm-hmm. But when you have so few facts about, you know, your guy, I would imagine it would be a little difficult to be able to verify anything that was true, which it goes back to, you know, not only the responsibility of actors, but the responsibility of the writers in that way. That's like, I can't imagine that people were put in such a fine point on well that guy leave god i think he was jewish and that's the only thing i really remember about him so if you're going to have him be a jewish character so make it a point they should have just given him the episode exactly i and i think that's a commonly held belief that like nixon's whole existential breakdown though entertaining with the it's my dog moment it sort of falls flat when you see everything else that's going on in the episode. And I think they they boned that a little. Yeah, almost pales in comparison. It's like, yeah, obviously this is a horrible experience that he's going through, like misery, alcoholism. Like, but I tr- like- I'm trying to think of what exactly we're meant to take away from that scene where he's in the house of the German woman. What exactly are we meant to take away from that? That we wouldn't, that we is replacing everything that we would have gotten in an episode about Liebgott. A lot of things are very unclear, I think, especially in later episodes, which is interesting because you think things would be a bit more foggy in early episodes, but I think in later episodes, storylines get a little bit muddier. I mean, it's almost like we're supposed to not like her. Like, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, she's so annoying. She's so rude. But he's just broken into her house. Yeah, of course she's fucking pissed off. And and it's it's just weird. And, and then they lock eyes when they're in the camp. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's almost like she knew, she's obviously married to someone who was high up in the, uh, in the military, in the German military, because he's dead but she's got a picture of him and so you're like oh okay well she's she's bad because she was married to a, a top nazi but you don't actually un- know anything about her because she doesn't does she even have any lines like no no so you don't know anything about her you don't know whether or not you know what her war was like she just knows she lives in a nice house and her husband's dead and nixon's just broken because he wants some wine uh, and it is just a really odd scene I don't know whether it's to almost to whether it's to humanize them saying listen yeah yeah she lost her husband that's really sad or to be like her husband was a Nazi she's bad it's is really yeah. odd I feel like it's more the latter because when we see her she's an intense lady I think that we're we're meant to have some sort of a negative emotion towards her but I don't it's very nebulous it doesn't really read yeah. yeah it's really strange it, it does feel like we're not supposed to like her and that when she you see her digging in the graves or trying to like put a body in the grave you're going like yeah because mm, she has the same face. like so strange she has like the same facial expression that she made at him and she's like almost giving nixon almost gives her like the i told you so look and she's like yeah what about it like that's sort of like the silent exchange that happens, like the way that they just like look at each other. It's like, it's it's bizarre. Yeah, she is giving him like a dirty look. It's so strange, so she's weird. Like, it's almost like she's a super villain and she's like, ah, you foiled my plan. It's like, is that what they were going for? Fancy seeing like, you here. 
in my house. Exactly. It's like they're being blamed. It's like you knew what was going on. You're part of this war. Even though it, uh, I just, I don't know what to make of that scene. I, I just feel like we're not supposed to like her. And we're yeah. supposed to be on like Nix's side, even though he is mm-hmm. breaking into her house and robbing her. <laughs> I think about that too a lot. And we're like, she deserves it. She's an artsy. One thing kind of going back to like the actors um, and their performance, because talking about like Nix is Nix does kind of a good job of inching close to unlikable in that episode. The what, sorry? Yeah. He, he inches a little bit. He toes the line of, of being just sort of nihilistic and pissy enough where you're like okay dude like pack it up you you're in war we don't need this pity party right now it's yeah, frus- it's frustrating party. to see it yeah it's frustrating but why is it frustrating is it frustrating because you're not supposed to be like this you're supposed to be a hero you're supposed to be that's exactly why dealing with it yeah. better it's yeah. like, don't else- you- and look around everything's great why are you acting yeah, you, like this you they've surrendered you know mm-hmm. and all he wants is this wine and you're like well you- it's so like yeah it makes you go like oh well for god's sake you pull yourself together everyone mm-hmm. else is dealing with it in their own way and it's just like, well, of course he's justified in his response. He's, you know, they've been at war for how long? Mm-hmm. He's miserable. He people are dying all the time, and he's got to be the one to tell people that they're dead, that you know their sons are dead. And it's a shit job. Like it's miserable. Like no wonder. Like you and it and for like someone who is, you know, not come from that kind of background, he's like been put in a high position because of who his like family is, right? Like he didn't even necessarily want to be in that position and that's what he's got and so we're made to think that he's you know and it's very interesting that he sort of like 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 he's he starts the episode in a bad mood he breaks into people's general stores in the town that he's in and then the mp are just like go ahead like we just saw you walk out of there it's fine but i think it's very interesting that he blames his mood on a very normal thing which is his wife leaving him like that's like what he's gonna like that's the story that he's gonna like stick to of like why he's like so sour for basically the rest of the time i mean you could almost like that's also justifiable like yeah Yeah, you've had it coming at you and it's like the one thing that was going to be normal when i got home was my wife and my dog and now i don't have that it's like everything's been taken away from him he's like he can't even return to normalcy when he gets home i guess i'd be annoyed too (laughs) i guess what i'm like trying to like say is like it's a very like it sort of shows that things that like life is like calming down because it's a very normal annoyance to have you're starting to trip on Manucha a little yeah, bit, like, the slower uh, the war goes. Like, ah, uh, my, my bitch wife is leaving me. Like, that's like sort of like his mindset. Like, that's like what he's going to fixate on. And it's just a very regular thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a very uh, interesting choice. Which, and then, you know, he's getting tripped up by all of these slightly more normal things to the degree that by the time they're, you know, walking through a camp it starts to be like I have no reason to really be upset about any of this after all I mean I could say because I suppose you could say that you know these are normal things but they're normal things for us because Mm -hmm. we live every day like normal people whereas for him his normal has become war and you know the misery and whatever of war and so to have these things they're not normal for him like not being able to find a bottle of wine frustrating because he wants it and he's used to it his wife leaving him is like well that doesn't happen every day you know Mm -hmm. he sees people getting shot every day people getting killed and and, you know he he says the whole thing he never fired around while he was there because he never had to because he was in charge he just had Mm -hmm. to tell people what to do and I think that's really interesting show that he's not, you know, if you're involved in the war effort, you think, yeah, I, I want to shoot a gun. I want to kill someone. I do want to do my bit. But he just wasn't interested in that. Mm-hmm. Which I think is why the reaction is the way that it is in the show. When things start to become more and more like life and a little bit less like war, you know, that's jarring to have that all of a sudden mean something again. Yeah, you know, you don't, not every day, uh, you know, people aren't getting divorced every day at war, you know, 
Mm-hmm. And then he's like, my wife is divorcing me. <laughs> Are you joking? <laughs> you joking? Um, That's be really annoying. And it's also quite a little cute, not cute, in a funny little window into like civilian life back in America. They've got no fucking clue what's going on over here. And she's like, Just oh, you're away. Get, you're away. You're away. Daiquiris with the girls. Like, I have not heard from him in months. Yeah. Oh my God, he's ignoring me. Like, babe, he's covered in mud and he's got no hand, you know. <laughs> Give him a break. <laughs> like, imagine your boyfriend. I just had no idea. And that's, um, I don't know if you read that you saw this, like, uh, there was like um, a thread somewhere, or I think it was on Twitter about a book, and I really want to read this book. It was about how, like, um, that's why a lot of American servicemen brought back women from the continent and from England because they understood the mm-hmm. war and they understood what, being at war was whereas for people in like America and maybe also Australia you just it was the war was not fought on that country and Mm -hmm. they had no idea they just had no idea what was happening and didn't even have many I think many bad effects of it apart from you know your men coming back fucked up Mm -hmm. you have did you guys have rationing in the war yeah there were rations yeah so you're like yeah so you felt like the um like consumption effects like oh i can't get bread and yeah. butter but your your house wasn't being bombed you weren't scared of nazi spies or whatever it's like an it's an interesting thing that that they related to these women so they were like well i'm, I'm taking you with me because you get me yeah i know like every town also installed like air raid sirens like just in case like the germans decided to cross the atlantic but they never they couldn't. They didn't have the air the air power to get across. That's why, you know, American airmen had to go to England so that mm-hmm. they could get across that way because America's too far away for planes at that time to get to with, you know, in, in for fighting or whatever. That's why they had to come to England and then go over. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, but it's just very, like, it's interesting that you say that, like, that, like, that's how, like, a lot of, like, people end up, like like a lot of like people ended up like first generation of like a specific culture because like they were the first generation born here because they had a foreign mother probably yeah yeah it's like yeah a lot of people brought over you know french and english women a lot there's like loads of american you know people who have american grandfathers here because they stayed here instead because they just got used to being in England rather than America. And, and at the time, they're, they're just such different cultures anyway, because, you know, of what England and the, the Europeans have been through. It's, yeah. I feel like the actual uh, Doc Rowe, he was supposed to get married on D-Day to a woman that he met. Mm. And then they, they ended up getting married when they got back. Yeah, I think Spears was supposed to marry like a Scottish woman or something. Spears and then she, she fucked him and cheated on him. <laughs> I think she was already married. And oh, was that it? She was already married and, and she then, thought her husband. And then was he want he had been like in a prisoner of war camp and then he came so, back and she had yeah. to be like, I have bad news. Yeah, she's like, Oh, this is really awkward. Um <laughs> <laughs> how embarrassing. But like, yeah, so like you see that I'm sure other members probably like I mean it's mentioned briefly that like Nixon is going to cheat on his wife with a young woman uh in Oldborn but I know he was so sad when she divorced him uh, it's so devastating the truth. <laughs> well it's just like she's got no idea what I'm going through how dare she divorce me like I've yeah you've been gone for so long yeah and I've been getting shot at actually you know um, uh, maybe that's what the German woman is for. Like, I relate to you. <laughs> I relate to you. <laughs> you know what the war is like, and you've lost a husband. I've lost a wife and a dog. <laughs> you get she's it. She's like, I have this house. I have this dog. Yeah. Let me pour you a glass of wine. Yeah. She's like, if you fix the window, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> but we've, we've brought this up a few, a few times, but um, I really think like they did, the writers themselves left a bit too much of the fact-checking up to the actors themselves and there are some I don't, th- I don't necessarily think that's fair because the the writers are like historians yeah you know, but they're writers but they also do their history research individual men and what their past brings to the character not necessarily what it brings to the story 
Well, it's, you, I, I just don't think it's fair to say like, oh, I'm I'm the writer and I've written this script, but it's up to you to decide if I'm right or not. Like if yeah, I've got it. No, uh, so maybe I need to maybe I need to rephrase. I think they they did the best they could with what they had, but some of the information they were giving were given maybe wasn't. I mean, verifiably, there were some things that weren't accurate about the information that they had, like saying that Blythe died from his injuries when it was someone completely different and the actual Blythe that they were um, using in the show lived until like the 60s. Yeah, well, again, it's just the information they have available. This was written in 1999. Mm. This was before the internet. This was before you could really go into family archives properly. You know, they they did what they could with the information that they had, mm. which was a lot of it interviews and, you know, yeah, contacting. Like and were... if they couldn't find someone, then they just have to assume, go by what other people had said. It's different now because it's so much easier to get a hold of access information and things and well that goes back how are the actors supposed to do that if the writers can't you know they know as much as they know well that goes i think all the way back to ambrose and people had told ambrose that Blythe had died um because they just never they didn't see him again so there's like oh Mm -hmm. yeah this that that took him out um but i do think that I don't know. That just seems like something kind of, and John Orloff, who was the main writer on the show did like, he has admitted that like, that was a faux pas that like, that's something that they probably should have double checked. Um, and they didn't. I mean, you have the personal histories of so many guys mm-hmm. that in some way, tangentially or otherwise, you make yourself responsible for when you decide to make a television show about them. And it's a hell of a job. It's a yeoman's task. And you also have battle sequences and the historical accuracy, like what certain, what towns would have looked like. And you're working with all of these different departments. I understand it's probably a really, it, it's a difficult concepts to even wrap your head around and you're not involved so in some senses I understand where you reach a dead end and you just have to turn around well it's also it's just researching history especially personal histories is Mm -hmm. so incredibly difficult because exactly one person may say one thing and then another says another it's it's you have to deal with like the um the difficulties of working with memory which is so subjective it's all over the place it's it's so mm-hmm. difficult to get and and you know you've got people with the same names like the, yeah they could have thought oh this must be this has got to be Blythe and but it's it's just some other it's a different Blythe it's so difficult to actually find especially then like I was saying like the internet has just given us so much easier ways of finding things but mm-hmm. you know, people used to lie about their ages they would spell their names differently the people doing the records would change their names accidentally or they wouldn't know when they were born or where they were born because some people just didn't it is like it's so difficult to find records of people and then from that be able to confirm that that's who you're talking about especially if there was no family you can't find a family member for them which a lot Mm -hmm. of them couldn't until you know maybe later on you just got to go with like well this is what the guys say about them and it's through the perspective of these men and so if that's their perspective Mm -hmm. and that's what they think then that's how we're going to portray these characters not all the actors have the luxury of knowing the actor knowing the the real man or even the family members like you know someone like webster who died at sea you know you're never going to know what he was like yeah Mm. and they talk a little bit about you know in a few different forums about how it was difficult to rely on each what guy individually was saying because Mm. they downplayed their own roles to such intense degree and they would focus on the guy that was next to them themselves and they would like if story about the snow saying if it was three feet of snow they'd say no it was only like two inches yeah it's yeah they downplay their own roles or 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 they would or some of them might have been like ashamed of what they did or ashamed mm. of their part and so would leave it out or or change it in their memory. And, and, and if you tell a story, you know, so many times, it does become what you think happened. Mm. And so that, there's that as well. It's there's people are unreliable narr- narrators of their own life. You know, you have people who could recite an event to you if they were there and then you could watch a video and, and some things would be different because they remember it differently. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
And then you've also got personal bias. Like, you know, Malarkey hated, who was it that he hated? He hated somebody. Webster, yeah. So he he's obviously shit about him and not commend anything he did. And whereas another person be like, oh, I don't know, it wasn't that bad. And he did do this and he did do that. You know, it all yeah. comes down to who's alive, who's telling you what, and, you know, what the consensus was. It's interesting. Yeah. Like in Webster's book, and he talks about Cobb. Yeah. And like Cobb was like this nice guy and everybody liked him and he was really funny. And then in the show, he's this rude asshole and nobody ever wants him around. It's sort of like, yeah. it's sort of like you take like the average opinion that like if you ask enough people about somebody and they like four people say this six people say this you're gonna try to like meet the character somewhere in the middle to get what could possibly be a semi-accurate representation it's where a person kind of becomes a character yeah and Mm -hmm. i think and i think that happened a lot more with like the smaller roles Mm -hmm. and like the people who didn't do less but were talked about and brought up less like I think I think Cobb is a good example of that I think probably people have that opinion of Blythe um an interesting one that like people and it's I'm still amazed that it's not as widely known in the fandom as it is but it's in the Dead Eyes podcast where the actor who was supposed to play the role of Zelensky um Connor Rack Ratliff he sort of talks about how it was like two three four lines and he ended up getting fired the whole thing's about how he got fired but um he talks about how there was like nothing to go on it was just this guy that needed to be a part of it because he was a name that winners remembered and he was someone that winners remembered and he had to be there so it's like it's not it's not really a you're not really getting a fully formed person at that point. You are getting a prop, basically, who says stuff. It's like a prop, but it's also just like an acknowledgement. This person was yeah. real and they were here. Yeah. We don't know anything about them. Well, they they did a, he did like a really like in-depth episode where he talked, mm. he, he tried so hard to find like the real Zelensky's family and get like- It's an incredible episode. Yeah, and he tried That's to- correct he tried to get the real Zelensky's family and like see who this man actually was and see if you know maybe they were pleased with or not pleased with how he would have been represented in the show and the fact that finding out that he still maintained a close relationship with winners after the fact Mm -hmm. that was never really um brought up in anything else like it's just stuff like that that's the little minutiae that ends up getting cut or swept away for a myriad of reasons is never found out it's just stuff like that that I think is the the bread and butter of it really it's hard to fit it all into 10 episodes in between like battle sequences and that's why they should release the extra two episodes of footage oh god personally (laughs) but um, that's sort of, I feel like that's a good place to leave the discussion. And I'm very pleased with what we were able to get through um, in this little excursion. And I once again want to thank Rachel. Thank for you. And just being you. <laughs> being annoying. Uh, no, not annoying. Very, very. Uh, I use astute. I use intelligent. Very insightful. There you go. And Tessie. Wise. Wise. Sage, even. And uh, Tess, very much the same. Thank you guys so much for uh, doing this with me. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to have like a a conversation, like an intelligent conversation about this. It's really nice. Yeah. It's wild to think. I know. Listens to the original version of this podcast, and I just liked it a lot. (laughs) Yeah, liked it enough, and um, yeah, and now look, look at. I I was gonna about to quote Hamilton, but I'll stop. Please don't. (laughs) Please don't. I gotta go. Okay. Yeah. So again, thank you, and thank you to anyone who listened. This was a very fun little uh, diversion into from real life so yeah bye bye
And that is that. Once again, thank you so much to everyone who listened. First and foremost, I um, was unsure about these, but, you know, I think I think I've sat on them long enough. They deserve to be out there. So if you've made it this far to this little afterward, thank you. Um, once again, thank you so much to Rachel and Tess who um, sat with me for a couple hours to make these. Um, it was really a fun, um, a fun couple days where we were able to really have some good chats. Furthermore, um, thank you so much to every single person who's been involved with this entire project since its beginning. And I mean every single person. Um, there's far too many to name, but just know that if you were involved in, you know, this iteration or the original, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I owe you so much, and um, I look back very fondly at every conversation I've had for this show. Um, but yeah, that's that, and I'll get out of your hair. Have a good one. Bye.